So I'm in the process of building an uh, email course about investing because I see these people buying all these courses on investing and um, I don't think they they answer the question for people who are looking to invest for the long term, right? There's some great courses on uh, short-term trading for people that may want to put money into, <clears throat> try to make some short-term money, which is extremely hard. It's like going into business for yourself, right? But there's no good course for people who are looking to do long-term consistent compounding um, out there. Um, and, and so I wanted to provide, provide a free one, creating a free one. And part of the process was going through some of the top uh, questions that people ask me about money and investing. And so, as you know, if you listen to this podcast, I've done lots of episodes on questions, but I narrowed it down to the top about 15 questions um, that I'm asked. They're asked different ways, but I narrowed them down to about 15 uh, types of questions that people ask <clears throat> that, some, that, that, that gets to about 70, 80 percent, um, you know, of, of my answer. So here they are. Let me know your thoughts. If you're interested in getting the email source, make sure you're on my email list. Um, you can you go now to my website and actually the best way to get on is just email me at philip at philipwashingtonjr.com. Subject email list. So philip at philipwashingtonjr.com with the subject email list, or you can put put me on your email list or whatever, but I'll I'll know what it is if you email me and put email list. All right, enjoy it. This is a special bonus episode where I'm going to go through the top questions. There's about 15 questions that I get um, the, the most frequently, the most frequently asked questions uh, that I hear. And people ask them in different ways, but I, I, I lumped all the questions into about the 15 different types of questions that they're asking, right? So, so. Um, some ask it a different way, but this is basically the question that I hear most often from people. Let's get straight to it. Number one, how much money do I need to get in position to work if I want to, not because I have to. Some some call it retirement. Um, some say financial independent, financial freedom. But basically, it's, hey, when am I going to have enough money to where I'm good? And the, the best way to figure that out, right, there's a there's a... Uh, a back of the paper napkin way to figure it out and it's basically you take how much money you need right so let's say you bring home ten thousand dollars a month that you calculate and then most of the time i'd say all right take 80 90 percent of that and plan to live on that because once you retire you won't need to save into your 401k or any other investments anymore but um um, but you'll be able to spend the rest. And even if your home is paid off and you don't have any debt in retirement, I still like to assume 80-90% because even though the home is paid off and you don't have other bills, you still might travel more and you have more free time. And if you've ever been off of work for two, three, four weeks, 
you notice that you find ways to spend money a lot of times. Uh, again, some in retirement, you know, spend less than when they were working. But when you're planning, you rather plan to have more money than less money because once you get there, it's going to be real hard to um, <laughs> save if you hadn't saved enough. Um, so, so 80, 90%, you know, an example of $10,000 a month, I would say, you know, plan for 8000 9000 a month as far as how much you need, right? And then what you do is you say, okay, so if I need, in this example, $8,000 a month, then you say, all right, um, if you want to count Social Security, how much am I getting from Social Security? You may say Social Security is going to pay us 3000 a month. So, uh, and, and, then, and then maybe you have a pension plan from your work that might pay you 2000 a month, right? So you go, okay, you know, uh, I need 8000 Social Security pays three. My pension pays two. That's 5000 a month. You know, now I need 3000 a month coming from my investments, from, from, uh, from the sources that I need, where I need to create my own income. Social Security will create the income for you because they'll send you a check. So will your pension when you turn it on, but you're going to have to create your own income from your investments. And, th and in this example, that's where that 3000 a month is going to come from. And so then you say, all right, how much money do I need in investments, right? And, and, and all of my investments, um, how much do they need to, to equal for me to be able to draw on $3,000 a month? Well, first you got to figure out, okay, so let's let's do some math. If I have $3,000 a month coming in, or I need $3,000 a month, you first got to multiply $3,000 a month times 12, so you can get the annual number, which is $36,000. And then you want to divide that by uh, an interest rate, right? And why do you divide it by an interest rate? So when you get ready to withdraw money from a pile of money, so let's say I'm talking to somebody who is retired and they have you know some money and they're saying all right philip how much money can i can i take out of this safely without running out of uh, money now we have fancy software where we can like crunch crazy odds and, and figure it out but back of the paper napkin you know if, if we didn't have the crazy uh, calculators and software that we have i would say okay let's let's first uh, let's first say okay how much will your investment portfolio earn? You know, what's the average interest you're going to earn on your money? Let's let's call a retirement portfolio 6%, right? Just forget where I got the number now. Let's just say it's 6%. Then you say, all right, uh, you don't want to use all the interest you're going to earn every single year because the cost of living will keep going up. So you, can, so you have to use less than what you're going to earn on average. So let's say you say, all right, how about we leave uh, – you know, we, we, we only spend 4% because we're going to leave 2% in there to continue to grow and compound and grow our money so it can keep pace with the cost of living. Uh, and so in that example, if you use, if you use 4%, you're saying, okay, my, with my withdrawal rate or how much money I'm going to take uh, out of my pile of money, it's going to be 4%, right? So I'm explaining to you how you get the withdrawal rate. For those who don't like math, feel free to rewind and start back over. It's, it's quite okay. But I have to go math um, on the paper in the, on the back of paper napkin example, um, you know, for those who don't have the software. But so once you have that, and you know, so three three four percent withdrawal rate, I think, would be reasonable for most people, in in, in my opinion. Um, uh, but it depends on what your investment portfolio looks like. So that's why it's not a definitive answer. 
but let's say it's four percent what you do is you take the amount of money you need in a year from your investments in our example it's thirty six thousand and then you divide that by four percent and so what you get in this example is nine hundred thousand right so you say all right i need nine hundred thousand dollars to generate $36,000 a year at a 4% withdrawal rate. And so then you know, all right, here's how much money that I need to have saved to create the income that I need from the other income sources. Now pause. What the back of the paper napkin is not even gonna take into account is uh, cost of living rising between now and when you plan to retire, which is why you're probably gonna want some more sophisticated uh, financial planning software done by a financial planner or a wealth manager. But again, um, for, for those do-it-yourselfers, here's the back of the paper napkin to figure out um, how much money you need in a, in a rough sketch in retirement. It's going to be, you know, it'll, if, if you're getting ready to retire tomorrow, it's probably going to be that number. If you have a longer time frame there's more uncertainty because the cost of living has more time to go up and you're going to need to factor in the cost of living and that number's going to be bigger. Uh, but this could give you an idea of what you need to, to get in position to not have to work. So recap, you figure out how much money you're going to need to live on in retirement. You subtract out what you're getting from social security, pension plans, and other guaranteed income sources. And then you multiply that number to figure out the annual amount that you need of income and you divide that by the withdrawal rate or the, the interest rate you plan to pull on, which should be less than the average interest rate you expect to earn on your money throughout retirement. I hope this helps somebody. I know the nerds will like it. Next question. How much should I be saving every month to reach my investment goals? So going back to the previous question, uh, that we answer once you know how much you need then we have to figure out a couple of more things how much time do you have between now and when you plan to retire is it 10 years is it 20 years is it 17 years is it 30 years is it two years and then how much do you expect to earn on your money conservatively and this is where you're going to have to do some work you're going to have to do some research on different portfolios what what's the you know what's the average return uh, of an aggressive portfolio, what's the average return of a moderate portfolio, uh, of a conservative portfolio, right? Once you know that, then what type of an investor are you? Um, are you aggressive, moderate, conservative? How much time frame do you have? Uh, if you if you have less time, then you're not going to be as aggressive as somebody who has more time. So you 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 want to figure that out. But let's let's assume that you say, okay, um, I've done my research and I'm gonna go with moderate and a moderate portfolio based on your research, you say, okay, 6% um, of year is what I expect to earn on a moderate portfolio. Now let me pause here for a second. Um, you much rather be conservative on what the return you expect to earn than aggressive. A lot of people wanna be over aggressive on the return. I'm like, you're, you're only hurting yourself. Cause again, I got a philosophy. I like to be a pessimist when I plan uh, and an optimist when I'm executing. So if you use conservative numbers, if you assume that you're going to possibly earn less than what you probably could earn, uh, then you'll have more money than what you need. Um, uh, and you can feel good about your plan versus having a lofty return goal, not hitting it, and then not having enough money. But let's go back to it. 
So let's assume you go moderate, you assume six percent. Then what you got to do is find a um, a financial calculator. And if you thought question one was hard, this is going to be a, a bit harder, but I'm going to simplify it. But if you Google financial calculator, there's a lot of them. And so and so your inputs that you have to input into a financial calculator is you're going to need the present value, right? So present, it's going to say put in present value. What is present value? It's how much money you have right now, right? How much do you already have saved right now for retirement? Do you have 100 grand, nothing, a million, whatever the number is, you put that in present value. And then what you're going to put in is N is going to be time period or how much time um, you have between now and um, and retirement, <clears throat> right? So, uh, and you want to make sure you're using the calculator because N, when you're looking at period, they can they can have the calculator default to, to months or years. You want to have it done for years, um, because if you if you for example if you put in twenty months, um, if you put in twenty and it's reading this months, it's going to assume you're going to retire in twenty months. So you want you want to make sure the calculator is put on annual instead of months for the end, which is the period of time. And then you want to the next one is you want to have a future value. What's the future value? Well, let's use the Question number one, let's assume that the person says, all right, I need $900,000 as my retirement goal. That will be the future value. That's how much money you're going to need. The next one is interest rates, or some of them might say IRR, internal rate of return, that you're going to assume. So how much are you going to earn in your money on average? That's where that 6% comes into play. And so once you put in all those things, the, the last thing it's going to be is like payment. Payment is how much money you have to invest annually <clears throat> to reach that goal. And that will give you how much you should be saving every year to reach your investment goal. And you just divide that by 12 to figure out the month, right? Again, there's some more sophisticated financial planning software that we use for our clients uh, that allows us to be a lot more accurate, factor in inflation, factor in taxes, uh, factor in lots of other uh, variables that we cannot control. But this is the back of the paper napkin way to do it for the do-it-yourselfers. And then as a matter of fact, it's taking that back of paper napkin because you're going to, to do this, you're going to have to use a financial calculator um, on the internet. And, and all financial calculators have those inputs um, in them. So, you know, there's not going to be a better one or the different one. You're going to get to the same answer if you use a financial calculator that um, regardless. So that's how you get there. Question number three. Where should I invest my money that will best help me reach my goals? This actually is a really good question. Uh, here's what I want to do. I want to I want to break up investments into two buckets, right? And I'll explain. And here's why I do it. So you have passive investments, which you think about. You know, the best passive investments are going to be you know stocks, bonds, commodities. Passive, like you're not doing any work. Um, you're investing and you're letting your money compound and grow over the long term. I call it, you know, more boring investing, uh, um, but, but historically it's provided um, an a, a outcome that you can better count on, right? It's a lower return, but over the long term, it's a more consistent outcome. And then you have what I call home run investment. So think of this as people who might day trade stocks or futures or options or currencies or people who buy and flip real estate or develop property, people who invest in other people's uh, businesses, like private businesses, think of this like venture capital or 
angel investing. So it's it's very high risk, very high reward, meaning you have a high probability of losing all of your money. But the but the small chance you actually do um, make money, you, you have the ability to make a lot. So that's the home run bucket, and then you have the passive bucket. Now, most people approach their investing and they try to invest for retirement. They try to they try to invest home run style for retirement. And my deal is like, no, you know, the the way to approach it is say, okay, if I if I have a job that's generating income or I have a business generating income, let's just like you would set up an emergency fund, first step, pay off your debts, buy the insurances you need to protect your family right before you uh, do anything else in your financial plan like the next step after that is to make sure you have enough money uh, for your for when you're in in your later years right that might be retirement and for a 20 30 or a 40 year old that might be that might not be super exciting but neither is (laughs) buying insurance or saving for an emergency fund or paying off debt it's not exciting but you gotta do it to be financially secure. And so what I would do is I would, I would build a financial plan that allows me to know that, okay, when I'm 60, 65, 70, I'm gonna be in good financial position. It's gonna be a long way from now, but I know that this first 10, 15% that I save and invest uh, is for my long-term retirement goals, right? And then once I know that uh, at some point, you know, in my later years, I'm going to be financially secure. If I just keep following the plan, I'm good, right? Because I got the foundation of my debt paid off or being paid off. I got the emergency fund. I got life insurance because I die early. I got disability insurance to make sure that if I can't work, we got money coming in. And now I got, I'm saving 10 to 15% into the, you know, uh, boring passive bucket, um, you know, for retirement. Um, uh, I'm good. Um, now any extra money you get, um, uh, then you can say, all right, do I want, I can start planning this home run bucket. Cause here's the cool part. You only need like one home run between now and retirement to, to really make a lot of money, but you can do it with what I call house money, right? You can do it with, with money. That's not serious money, money. that doesn't really, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but money that is, um, it's not going to take away from your 70 year old. So if it doesn't work out, cause by the way, it doesn't work out for a lot of people. And, and so, um, so, you know, going back to the original question, you know, where should I invest my money to best reach my goals? Right. I would do a well diversified portfolio that's built around your risk tolerance and your time frame, as what I mentioned in the previous answer, you want to say, all right, how much time do I have? until I retire and reach my goal? Uh, and, you know, am I aggressive investor, moderate investor, conservative investor? And then build a portfolio, uh, um, you know, around that. Um, that. That's well diversified and globally diversified. And, it, and it's gonna include, I would recommend it includes stocks, bonds, commodities, and REITs. And, and, and how much you have in each asset class uh, and how much is in US assets versus non-US assets and all that kind of stuff. That, that boils down to, um, again, analyzing your risk tolerance and your time frame and putting that together. But the, and, 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 that's, and, and how to get that is a, 
a whole textbook of how to build a portfolio around that. But to give you value and answer this question in a way that's going to be meaningful to you, I would say the best place to invest your money to reach your goal are in passive investments first. Because, again, you can look at tons of research and data that shows a well-diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds over the long term provides a decent rate of return and a good enough rate of return to build a financial plan on. Again, see questions one uh, and two uh, around the, the building blocks for a good financial plan. Next question. Is there a place that can get me a better return than my savings account? Uh, yeah, there's plenty of places that could potentially get you a better return than your savings account. The question is, what's your goal? Right, what is your goal? What are you What are you trying to do? If, if you're saying, hey, Philip, I got money in savings and it's for my emergency fund, stuff that might pop up if an AC blows out or I need good plumbing, you know, um, it's that money. Or, hey, I got money in savings account because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a home in the next 12 to 18 months, right? If it's some short-term goal <clears throat> that you have money in the savings account for, then I would leave it in the savings account. And I really wouldn't worry about uh, interest because there's nothing in the short term uh, that gives you a, a, a high certainty that it will be here uh, when you need it, whether it be one month, one week, or 12 months from now. Um, um, you know, the, the, the things gonna be the most certain are gonna be savings accounts. And, and because they are more certain, they pay less. And so if it's, a, if it's an emergency fund or short-term gold money, uh, money I wouldn't worry about you. Think of it like insurance, right? You buy insurance just in case something happens. You're losing money, uh, but you're doing it to protect yourself and your family. Savings is kind of the same thing. You earn a little bit, not much, but it's it's for cushion and it's for certainty, um, you know, for your planning. Now, you know, I've run across lots of people that have way more cash than what they need for the short term. And so then we have to figure out, all right, how far on track or off track are you with your other long-term financial goals? What's your risk tolerance? What's your time frame? And what's the appropriate stock, bond, commodity, REIT mix um, for uh, for you? Right and again, that depends on 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 their specific um, on their specific goals and what they're trying to uh, what they're trying to achieve. Uh, so that that uh, and, and over the long term. Again, history shows that if you have a long-term time frame, then a well-diversified portfolio of those asset classes are a better option than cash for the long-term goals, but not for the short-term goals. Next question. How do I know if my investments are working as hard as they should? Are there better ways to invest my money? Uh, great question, great question. I really want you to go back to question number three that I answered. Where should I invest some money that gives me to, that will help me best reach my goals? Because people who typically ask this question, um, they have money in the boring bucket, the passive investment bucket, and it's not moving aggressive enough, right? You 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 read about people who are doubling and tripling their money in you know, in in day trading. And side note, what you don't hear is the few years later when they blow out their whole portfolio and are no longer bragging about it and they have no money. Uh, but you hear about it when they're double and triple in their money in the short term. And you think, man, my money's like growing boringly and, um, you know, building wealth in the passive bucket is a lot like anything else in life. It's kind of like people will look at a business owner 
that is successful in making money now, but they didn't look at the previous 10 years of just grind they went through, the, the, the day in and day out struggle, the wanting to quit, the unglamorous things, the being the janitor, being the assistant, the just the, the grueling work that went into building that solid business um, that you're looking at now and saying, oh man, you know, I really, I really want that. Investing is the same way, right? Investing is the same way. What, what you want to do is you want to, if, and again, I'm going to the passive bucket. You want to give it time. You want to invest money, uh, let things compound in the short term. The market's going to do what it's going to do. You can't make it go up or go down. I can't make it go up or go down. There's nobody out there that can consistently, uh, you know, year in and year out or month in and month out, uh, make money. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a long-term game. And so you just, you just want to be patient in that passive bucket and let things compound and build. Cause and and you don't have to just trust the person. Like just, you can look at history, like go to a, a cool site. Vanguard It's a mutual fund company and it has a different portfolio, um, return history. So I don't, I mean, you can Google Vanguard, you know, model portfolio return history or something like that. Um, and it shows like the returns of stocks, bonds, and different mixes of stocks and bonds and portfolios going back to the 19, late 1920s. And then you'll see like over time, like things work out, the, the market uh, makes money um, over time because human beings continue to uh, innovate and, um, and get better and, 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 and grow. And so um, again, it's, it's always prob it's always possible that that won't happen, uh, but it's not probable. And if it were to happen, then we're going to be banks are going. Everything that we consider safe is going as well. So who really cares what happened to the money in the portfolio? So um, if you've done the work and you've built a good financial plan, and your investments are diversified and built based off of your financial plan and allocate it based on your time frame and your risk tolerance, then your investments are good. Uh, what people are end up saying, what people that are asking this or, or, or thinking is, Hey, I need to, I need to be investing my money in this, in, in these home rent opportunities. Um, uh, because this stuff over here is boring. And again, if, you know, if you got the boring stuff in place and you're on track to have a comfortable retirement at some point in the future, and you want to go start swinging for home runs that could potentially work, have your money working harder for you. Uh, cool. Um, go do that. Uh, but make, but, but, if, but if you don't have that foundation built first, get the foundation built and then go to the stuff that could potentially get your money to work harder for you. Cause if it, cause, cause in that bucket, I call it lotto tickets, right? You're, you're buying lotto tickets. You're saying I'm cool with putting some money in, in somewhere that has a low probability of actually, you know, returning my money. But if it does return it, that high probability of making me a lot of money, right? And then you just go find those on your own because I'm, I'm, I'm not a big fan of going to a financial advisor to help you find home run opportunities because it's low probability of it anyway. You're going to be better at developing a skill set and developing, you know, your own process for vetting those things, right? Venture capitalists don't, don't go to a financial advisor and ask, where should I invest? Angel investors, you know, some <clears> – <throat> You know, if, if you talk to people that actually like invest in venture capital, um, um, a, a lot of folks don't don't make money. Like the, a lot of the VC money is made by a small few venture capital funds, and they they don't take 
they take, uh, if you don't have big texture writing, basically, you're not going to be able to invest with them uh, either way. So um, if you're going to do home runs, you know, just go, go buy lotto tickets on your own and, uh, and, 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 and figure it out. But get that foundational bucket set up first. Next question. What's the best way to keep track of all of uh, my money and expenses? Yeah. So I'm not a big fan of budgets. I think, I think budgets are just not built for humans. Um, I, I am a big fan of, all right, let's, let's look at the last three months of your expenses and see where your money is going. Right. Let's look at, let's break it out into, into fixed bills. So fixed bills are bills that, uh, that if you don't pay something shuts off or default. So think of it like utilities. Um, this is, um, um, you know, rent or mortgage student loans, uh, credit cards uh, that, 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 that carry a balance, right? Things that you have to pay or something shuts off or default. It, it's also going to be like food from the grocery stores, which that can vary based on the use coupons, but let's also put that in a fixed bucket. So you got, you got your, 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 your basic living expenses, right? <clears throat> um, um, then you have your, um, you know, your, your, your splurge living expenses, right? These are your discretionary expenses. So this is going to be, um, you know, uh, getting haircuts, hair done, nails, date night, eating out, uh, gas, entertainment. Right? That's a, that's another bucket. So we, 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 we break it out because people, people don't overspend on basic expenses. People don't, people don't end up saying, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to send my utility bill extra money, you know, this month. No, <laughs> they, they typically overspend on the discretionary bucket. And so when we break it out, I say, okay, once you've broken it out, now let's create two different checking accounts for the two different types of expenses. Typically you, you want to have your basic living expenses or your fixed expenses to about 60% of what you take home. So if you make 10,000 a year, you don't want those expenses to be more than 6,000 a month. Right. And if they are, you need to figure out some, cut some subscriptions, figure out your utilities, like figure something out or go get a side job, side hustle and make some more money. So those expenses can be 60% of all the money you're bringing in. But, Make that 60%. And then for your discretionary, you just say, all right, we're going to put 20% of what we make into this discretionary uh, checking account every time we get paid. And then if we're, <clears throat> and then when it runs out, it runs out. Um, and for, for more accountability, like don't have a debit card for the basic expenses, only have a debit card for the, the, the discretionary spending, the splurge account. Um, and another side note, you can, if you're married, you can have a splurge account for each spouse or all together or one for the whole family and one for each spouse. But the point is 20% of what you make goes into the discretionary account. Okay. And, and once it's out, it's out. So for, cause most people don't, um, a, a lot of folks, um, don't overdraft. And so you, most people don't swipe themselves negative what ends up happening is they have everything co-mingled and they swipe the the mortgage money on accident because they they, they co-mingled the funds uh, break it out and then if you only if you don't have that much money let that means okay kids oh the kids see something they want maybe they can't buy it this weekend or if it if, if you're doing date night and you don't have that much money okay maybe we're doing razoos instead of papados um but you, but we, we all as humans, even the undisciplined uh, people that I meet, um, will 
um, not swipe themselves negative. And so the key is to not have a budget that you're checking every single day on the spreadsheet because nobody's going to do that. You just break out the accounts. It's very similar to the envelope system that Dave Ramsey has, except nobody uses envelopes. Not a lot of folks carry cash. But breaking out the, the accounts into two different accounts will help you not overspend because you're going to give yourself boundaries. And so you and so if you remember the math, 60% in the basic living expenses uh, or the fixed account, um, 20% goes into the discretionary expenses or splurge account. And now you have 20, 20% that's left for saving, investing, and paying off debt, right? And anybody who that I've talked to who has followed that process has loved it. They felt like they've had their hands wrapped around their money. Um, they have been able to save and invest and get on track with their plan. It's an amazing way to organize and get your arms around your money. Uh, and that's, again, that's another thing that we do to help clients set that, set that thing up. Next question. Where's the best place to save for my kids' college? You know, I'm just, I'm not a big fan of 529 plans or, you know, college, college savings plans. Uh, and the reason being is not only is college, not only do I think college is crazily, stupidly expensive and cannot continue on this path because it doesn't provide enough value at the current price of college, um, my kids are young. I just, I think the whole system is going to blow up and change by the time they get to college because this is way too expensive for what you get. So that's kind of one caveat. Second caveat is even if that were, were not the case, I'm just not a fan of putting money into something that's going to lock it up um, and only force me to use it for that one purpose. So for example, in a 529 plan, if you don't use that money for uh, expenses that are, you know, you know, that they count as higher education, which is their rules, right? If it doesn't, if it doesn't meet their criteria of higher education, um, then you got to pay taxes a penalty for accessing uh, uh, your money. And I don't, I don't like that because my kids are pretty smart. Maybe they'll get a scholarship or maybe they'll say, Hey daddy, I don't want to go to college. I want to start a business or Hey daddy, I want to become a real estate developer or Hey, like well, it's a lot of things that can happen between now and then. And I don't want to force them to do something they don't want. Or again, if they go, if they get a scholarship, then I got all this money saved and they don't, they don't really need it. And so I like to just use a regular brokerage account that's, that's set up for me and my wife. We put money into it. Uh, it can be for their college. It can be for our retirement. It can be for our dream home. But it's an account. And I, and I figured out, okay, here's how much this account needs to have in it by the time my kids go to college. And we know how much we need to have for retirement. So it has all of our financial plan, has all of our goals in it. And as long as we're saving enough in all the buckets, to reach our goals, right? We we have options. So, for example, in the brokerage account of, you know, when my, when my boys go to college, if we have half a million bucks in there, and I need a hundred grand, you know, for my oldest to go to college, we'll reach in there and get it. It was accounted for in the plan. They got it, and we can use it for college. If he gets a scholarship, I might say, oh, hey, son, why don't we use this hundred grand to buy a couple of rental properties? Um, we'll get some rental income. You can have some roommates move into some too. And, and you could make some money and get your first real estate property, um, you know, for it, right? And, um, and I'll become the bank and he can pay me back and then we can end up having more money for retirement. But it's a lot of different things we can do by not locking our money up um, than to put it in a traditional savings, college, college savings plans where you have all those rules and restrictions on it. But that's just me. I'm, I've never been a fan of them. Next question. Should I max out my 401k? Um, 
that's a that's a tough question, right? Here's what I do know. I think if your company offers you a match, you should definitely take that free money. If they say, hey, we're going to, you know, give you X amount of money if you just put this amount of money in there, like get it, get all the money in that they're going to give you for free, even if you have credit card debt, like get all the free money. But then, then next decision making is, okay, do you have credit card debt? Do you have an emergency fund, right? You know, what are some of your, do you plan to get married? Do you plan to buy a house, right? So if, if you, if, 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 if you have, if your answer is yes to any of those questions, then you may not want to max out your 401k plan because all of those goals require you to get money uh, well before you're 59 and a half. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that this is a person earlier on in life, but it requires that you have to get money out well before you're 59 and a half, um, which if you pull money out of a 401k before then, there's all kinds of penalties and all that kind of stuff that you got to deal with. And so I tend to say, hey, Let's take a step back. Let's figure out what your shorter term goals are. Let's have buckets for those shorter term goals. And then if you have extra money, then that allows you to be able to max out your 401k, then max out your 401k, right? So it, uh, it, it depends on the overall plan. And we want to factor in everything into the plan. Next question, how do I know which financial advisor is right for me? So uh, here's a couple of different things. <clears throat> Because some, some advisors say, oh, I'm the best for everybody. I'm, I'm not the best for everybody. And whenever somebody's talking to me about um, what they should, you know, if they're interviewing me to be their wealth manager uh, and they're telling me that they're talking to other people, I was like, listen, if, if I'm a good fit, fine. But trust your gut. Uh, your gut is very wise for most people. If, you, if, you, if, if your gut likes the person, that's a positive, right? That's a positive, right? And if you can get somebody else like a spouse or somebody that meet the advisor and their gut is doing well too, likes them too. Uh, that's even better. I don't understand how the gut works, but I think there's some sort of biological programming in us that allows us to pick up good people versus bad people. Like kids are real good at it. If you watch a kid or a dog, like they're really good at knowing bad people versus good people like in their gut. Um, so, so gut is one, but then also type of advisor matters too. Right. So, so there's two, there's two main types of, uh, financial advisors, right? <clears throat> There's the 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 stockbroker um, who who and they don't call themselves stockbroker; they call themselves financial advisors. But they sell they sell products, so they have a license to sell products. So they'll they'll they sell mutual funds, annuities, insurance. They get paid by an insurance company or an investment company to sell their products, right? And a lot of times they get paid different amounts to sell different products. Um, and a lot of times the products that are the crappiest um, pay the most. And so as the, as the consumer who's not an investment advisor and don't spend time reading these big thick prospectuses, it's kind of hard to vet whether the person is recommending you buy this product because it's good for you or it's good for them a lot of times. So wealth managers um, and fee only, which are fee only um, advisors, uh, are, we're gaining a lot of market share because a lot of clients are saying, Hey, I don't want to deal with somebody who's selling product. I want objective advice. I want to. I don't mind paying a fee for it. I pay a fee for my CPA for objective advice. I pay a fee for my attorney for objective advice. I want to do the same for my financial advice, so that I know that their advice is not tied to a product, but is tied to what's in my best interest. Wealthy families have been using wealth managers for years, but now a lot of us wealth managers are going to deal with people who are, we still have wealthy clients, but we also deal with clients who are not wealthy yet, but will be wealthy. 
Um, I call them, I call them the emerging affluent clients, the ones that have a plan that are willing to save money that are savers. Right. And, and, uh, and grow with them. And so, um, uh, but, but that type of an advisor, uh, I'm like, Hey, if, if you, if you, if you find somebody who you like and the gut feels good, but they sell products, I wouldn't go with that person. I would look for a wealth manager that you like that, that feels good with. Them. And if you find that you, I mean, you got most of what you need, right? Make sure you go do brokercheck.com. Um, you know, which is a great site to look at the advisor's background, make sure they don't have any, uh, you know, past issues on their, on their registration. And, and, and again, nobody's perfect. So even if they have a, if they have a past issue, like look at it and see if it's like just a complaining, uh, somebody complaining uh, that, that maybe you can deal with, or if like they got multiple violations, you know, Hey, something, something's up, but, but make sure you just broker check it. Make sure, um, um, yeah, make sure you do broker check. Uh, and if, 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 if you, if you do those three things, if you, if your gut feels good, they're a fee only wealth manager, you take broker check, they're good. Right. Um, um, then I mean, a lot of times, especially if you're talking to multiple people and, or you got a referral, um, then that's the, that's the best way I know that that's how being in the industry for 14 years, knowing what I know, that's the process that I would use to find, uh, um, a good wealth manager. And my wife knows, you know, I'm, I can tell my parents again, my parents know that if anything happens to me, I tell them, Hey, uh, here's the wealth manager I want you to talk to because, uh, he is somebody who checks all those boxes for me. And I know we'll check all those boxes for, for them. Uh, but if it wasn't him, it would be somebody similar, somebody who they like, who's a fee only wealth manager, right. Who has a history of taking care of the clients. Um, um, yeah. Next question. How do I invest and not lose money? There, I don't know of any way where you can uh, to, to to guarantee that, right? Investing involves risk. There's no there's no guarantees, right? And and if you're investing, there's going to be short period of time where you lose money. I mean, that's that's a that's a that's pretty certain. There's it's certain there's going to be short periods of time where you end up um, losing losing money. But here's what I think people are asking when they're asking. Like, how, how do I make sure I don't lose all of my money, right? How do I reduce the risk of me losing all of money? Again, it could always happen. Like, the, even if you have a well-diversified portfolio of 10,000 stocks invested around the world, they could all go to zero if we enter into a nuclear war or some sort, right? We just n nuke each other, right? Outside of that, it's very tough for me to find a situation where a well-diversified portfolio that's invested globally in stocks, bonds, commodities, and REITs um, that where everything goes to zero um, outside of that catastrophic event. And again, if that were to happen, banks are gone, like who, you know, nobody has jobs, like it's just, it's crazy chaos. And so the answer is the, the way to put yourself in the, in the position to protect your money the best you can is to spread it out, diversify, build a financial plan, figure out what your uh, mix of stocks, bonds, REITs and commodities should be based on your risk tolerance and your financial plan, and then invest um, accordingly, like diversify, spread your money out. Diversification is the key. Diversification, here's, here's what diversification means. It means you're not going to make a killing in the short term, right? You make a, you make a bargain with, with the heavens, right? That says, I'm not going to make a killing in the short term, but I'm also not going to get killed in the short term. My, my portfolio might dip 20, 30, 40%, 50% in the, 
in a bad year, but there's a low probability of everything going to zero um, because I've spread it out. But again, I'm also saying I'm not going to double and triple my money uh, over a 12 month period of time. Right. Which is why it's in that passive bucket and not that home run bucket where the home run bucket, you could invest and potentially lose it all. As a matter of fact, you have a high probability of investing and losing it all in that bucket. Next question, when do I need a wealth manager? You need a wealth manager um, when you don't have any credit card debt and you have a good chunk of your emergency fund built. You don't have to be fully up to three months, but you, can, you need to be almost there. And you have some savings in a, in a credit card and your credit card's paid off. Uh, then it's time to talk to a wealth manager um, in, in most scenarios because then, you know, you have good habit, good savings habits. You've, 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 you've attacked your debt and you're ready. Next question. How does the stock market work? So the, and this is a really good question. Here's a simple version. So a company is, you know, a company starts off private, meaning it may have one owner, a couple owners, but you can't buy shares on the exchange. And then they grow, they grow big. Let's, let's use Facebook, for example. Before 2014, 13, Facebook was owned by some venture capitalists, Mark Zuckerberg and a couple other folks um, that invested earlier, a few other folks that invested early. And then they said, all right, cool. We want to, um, some people might want to sell or uh, liquidate their money <clears throat> out of the company. And, um, and we want to be able to offer our company shares to a bunch of investors to, to make our money more liquid. Meaning, uh, if, you know, if, if you, if you had ownership in a private company, a company that's not publicly traded and you wanted to sell, you would need to get somebody to buy you out and, and it's harder. Um, uh, but if, if, for example, your, your, your shares were listed on an exchange like the stock market exchange, and then you wanted to sell. And you can just sell to anybody tomorrow, today, multiple times throughout the day. You have options to, to sell your shares. So your, your, your shares are more liquid, right? It may be helpful to think more in terms of like your home equity. If, you, if anybody's owned the home, you're like, yeah, man, it really, it's hard. It's difficult to get how, um, equity out of my home. You know, but uh, if, uh, if, for example, the price of your home traded daily on an exchange, then you could liquidate, you know, shares of, of ownership in your home um, instantaneously because it was liquid and you had like millions of buyers who were buying and selling um, the price of your home uh, daily. And so the stock market provides liquidity to the owners uh, and provides opportunities to people who want to invest in the company, participate in the company's uh, upside um, or <laughs> lose in the downside. So it's a financing mechanism. It's, it's, it's a way to finance a business that provides more access to money uh, for the owners. You can trade more freely, more liquid. That's the, that's the easiest way to explain the stock market. Next question, how do I retire early? Yes, actually this question was probably one of my most popular podcast, um, podcast questions to date. Excuse me, you have to hit a home run, right? You, yeah, there's there's no way around it. You you have to hit a home run. So let's review the buckets. You got the passive investment bucket and you got the home run bucket. 
And so if you want to retire early, you have to start a successful business and build it and then be able to sell it or take income from it. Or you have to invest in somebody else's successful uh, business or real estate project um, and, you know, sell it or generate income from it and or, um, you know, invest in your own real estate development project and sell it um, or take income from it, right, from the home run bucket. And by the way, with hard work, dedication, lots and lots of hours, that's a, that's a possibility. I have a lot of clients who are in a position out of retirement if they want to. Um, they're working because they want to, not because they have to. So they already have money um, at a relatively you know, early age because they did um, one of those things. And personally, that's, that's one of my personal plans. I don't, I don't, I'm going to always work, but my goal is to be in a position to work because I have to, not because I want to, like way earlier than 60, 65. Um, but you're going to have to get into that home run bucket, right? And, and, and what a lot of people will get into the home run bucket and they'll look for home runs that are out of their scope of competency. They'll try to, if they're a doctor, they'll try to become a real estate developer and they have no background in it. Um, I'm not saying a doctor can't be a real estate developer. What I'm saying is whatever you do, make sure you put the 10,000 hours into understanding it, even if you're, passively investing with somebody else's and it'll, it'll reduce your risk the more you know uh what is what is a uh, um i forget what warren buffett says but he says one of the biggest risks is ignorance you know when you're investing so uh, if you're looking at the home run bucket you can increase your odds by um uh increasing your knowledge and understanding so, you know for example let's look at let's look at me i'm using i'm using my example because I'm in the investment business, right? I, I understand options. I just did a podcast episode on, on options. So I understand options. I understand um, futures. I understand how to trade with leverage. You know, I've put in the 30, 40,000 hours to understand all that kind of stuff. But if you were to say, all right, Philip, how do you plan to retire early? It's easy. It's through my business, right? It's, it's way easier for me to invest for the long term and a passive, well-diversified portfolio for our money that we're going to have for college education and retirement, and then focus all of my energy and effort on building a successful business that provides great wealth management and financial planning services to people that need to invest in a passive. I'll get a lot more wealthy doing that than if I try to take my money now and spend three, two, three, four hours day trading you know, all day trying to knock it out of the park. You know, if I, if I just invest those two, three hours a day into loving on my clients, getting more referrals, growing my business, uh, finding better playing techniques that I can share with my clients, which allows them to refer more people, add more money. Like I've done the math. I'll get way more wealthier by providing a service as a business than to, you know, try to try to do it by uh, the home run bucket via trading for me. Right. And this is what I do for a living. So you want to know what I call your two foot hurdle. What's your two foot hurdle? What's what's a, like it's a no brainer for me to get real wealthy building this business. I've been doing it for 14 years uh, and the probability of getting of, of becoming wealthy off this off of a business like this. Um, and this is it's any business. Right. If you own, you know, one of the wealthiest guys that I knew owned um, a mechanic shops, like a string of mechanic shops very well to do 
one of the wealthiest guys in, in one of these suburbs out here in Dallas uh, owns a machinist company, right? Plumbers just like have like cash. Um, so the business doesn't matter. It's, it's, you know, if you want to know how to become wealthy uh, quick, it's, you know, owning a business in that home run uh, bucket. That's how you do it um, early over trying to look for investments that will give you multiples of your money uh, in a short period of time. That's the fallacy. Um, go look on the Forbes 400 list. Find me one billionaire that didn't do it through a business, through, through building and operating a business. Even the real estate, even the investment people, they became billionaires by having hedge funds uh, or having um, being real estate developers, which is basically raising money for different projects, uh, which is a business, it's a service, um, uh, or running money management companies, right? It's, it's a business. It may be in the investment space, but the, look at the math. The math didn't come from them doubling their money every month or whatever people think they can do. Um, in that home run bucket. How do I get my spouse on board with sticking to a financial plan, right? The, the, the best thing I learned about marriage was don't try to change your partner. That's the work that, that actually is, uh, is, is real tough. The best thing you do to get your spouse on board is make sure you're, you're real tight. Like if a lot of times, People who say this, they're not even real tight on their plan. They're just get, they're just using their spouse as an excuse for why they're not where they want to be. I'm like, okay, if you want to get your spouse on board, make sure your stuff is. Make sure you have your money management spending plan set up. Make sure that um, you are uh, doing everything you can to sacrifice to put money towards paying off debt. Right? I'm, you know, um, I had a situation where I talked to somebody and. Um, I, I was like, hey, it, uh, you don't even know how much money you'll spend every single month. You um, are not doing everything you can to uh, save money on eating out. Or you're not uh, clipping coupons, right? Uh, they were not doing everything required. They, they didn't have a financial plan. They had not inquired about how much money they need to retire comfortably. They didn't understand their benefits, how to maximize their benefits. You know, they just kept blaming their spouse. I'm like, listen, if you if you do what you need to do and your spouse sees things going well for you, again, yeah, it's harder when your spouse is not on board because you may have co-mingled money, but you can start practicing the habits of people who have good financial plans, and it may take a couple of months, a couple of weeks, a couple of years for your spouse to get on board. But if you, if you have the right spouse, um, they're going to eventually notice it and say, hey, can you – can you help me and show me uh, what you're doing? Now there's the extreme situation where somebody just married the wrong person and they're just financially irresponsible and they were not going to change. Right. And I can't tell anybody what to do in their marriage, but if I were in the situation, I'd have to cut it loose. That's just me personally. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to be broke. Like in no circumstance, if it's just the person that's just not, I'm not talking about somebody who's um, like not budgeting or overspending a little bit. I'm talking about somebody who's like, self-sabotaging and putting us in crazy debt and keep doing it even after even after we pay it you know i have to pay it off and they're not telling me and they're being secretive uh we're not we're not equally yoked um so i gotta cut that loose but if most people are not in that situation they're just blaming their spouse uh 
for where they are financially. Last question, Philip, what's your investment strategy? Um, so my investment strategy, this is, this is really good. My investment strategy is the same strategy I use for my clients. So here, here's where I start. What's the goal? How much money, which is how much money do I need at X point in time in, in the future? Um, and then I say, all right, how much time do I have until that goal? And what's the expected rate of return that I expect to earn my money? between now and then, right, in a conservative number. Then I figure out, once I have that, I know, all right, here's how much I gotta save uh, every single year, every, then every month uh, to reach that goal. Um, and, I, and I know my risk tolerance, which is aggressive, because this is what I do. And if it's a long out time frame, then I know, okay, risk tolerance and my time frame match up, so it's an aggressive portfolio, right? And then I go to say, all right, so since I know that, in this example, it's aggressive, I know the majority of my money is gonna be in stocks less than bonds and other things that um, have more uh, certainty and then i look at okay if i for deciding uh it's going to be diversified so it's going to be globally you know stocks bonds REITs, commodities all over the world but how much goes into which types of stocks which types of REITs, um and all that kind of stuff that that depends on where we are in the economic cycle right so um um Markets have seasons, you know how we have summer, spring, winter, and fall. Uh, economies have seasons, right? Local economies and the global economy. I like to look at the global economy. And, and just like you wear different clothes in different seasons, you, you want to uh, have more money in certain asset classes in different seasons. So if it's a, if it's a season of slow global growth, but things are growing, you, you know, I might have more money in tech stocks. But if the global growth is picking up and things are going real well, then I might have more money in emerging markets and overseas stocks and smaller companies and value stocks. Um, and so that depends on what's going on in the economy. Uh, and, 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 you know, uh, and, and, and if, you know, if I might uh, over, you know, put more money in one asset class than the other, right? But I want to be well diversified. I want to ideally have them in all, but there are time periods where I might just cut out one asset class if it's not even close to being in season uh, or just put a little bit of money in there into that asset class. And that's, that's more of an art than a science. It's like asking the chef, <laughs> you know, how much, how much sugar to use, right? You know, it, it depends, right? Um, but that's, that's the bigger picture. That's the process that I use. That last part though is less important, right? Even if you, if you just diversify globally and put equal amounts of money into <laughs> Uh, each different asset class and you got the stock bond mix right which how much is you know um, which is the you know if it's aggressive if you're an aggressive investor then maybe you have 90% stocks and 10% bonds right if you get that thing right and you just diversify equally into all the different uh, stock asset classes um, you're going to do you're going to do well over time for the most part or you have a higher probability of doing real well um, over the long term you know, for that and uh, in, in that environment, the extra stuff that I do, um, it, it gives you an option to potentially make more money, but you can also um, make less money than just equally spreading it out if you're wrong. So um, that's that's my best strategy. That's how I do it. It's not super time intensive, not super complex. I did do the work to um, build into the expensive software that I use. 
to screen my stocks and ETFs and all that kind of stuff. But because I did all the front end work and the research to build my investing process and system, which can give me an idea of what season we're in, it makes the actual work of investing super easy um, for, for me. But it's, it's And let me do this. Let me give a little shortcut on how to how to build the portfolio right if you don't want to get a CFP or do 30 hours of put your 30 hours in of learning portfolio management, not 30 hours, 30,000 hours of how to build a portfolio, all the asset classes and all that. Let me let me let me give you a good option. So and this is if you're doing it yourself and you don't want to hire a wealth manager for whatever reason and and you just want a simple solution, I recommend target date retirement funds from a low cost uh, mutual fund company. So like in a company that offers index funds or ETFs, um, you know, my personal favorite this is just my opinion. You know, at the moment, this is September 2020. You know, I like Vanguard. They have great low cost funds, but there's lots of other good companies with great target date funds that you can look at out there to make sure that the cost is low. But if you, if you if if you say okay, I did the work, I built my plan, I know how much money I need, and I know when I want to achieve that goal. So let's, for example, say you plan to retire in 2040, then you can go buy a in this example, let's say a Vanguard 2040 fund, and then it will um, allocate or put your money in the different types of asset classes uh, um, that it should go in based on that goal. And it's going to give you a well-diversified portfolio. So um, that's a, a shortcut, cheap solution. Just say, all right, what's my goal, right? And it may even be, hey, my kid's going to go to college in 2030. You can still use that target date retirement fund for that college goal. So because all you're doing, is, all it's doing is matching up how your portfolio should be allocated, uh, given a specific uh, goal. Um, and, and the goal is based on time in this example. That's what target date retirement funds um, do. And so uh, for those of you who say, oh, okay, I like that, but I want to build my own. Well, st still look at the target date fund. And when you when you uh, look at it online or you get a perspective, it's going to tell you what percentage of the money is in each different asset class. And so you can use that as a cheat sheet to build your own portfolio. So when you look at the, you know, what that invest what that target date fund is invested in, it might say, you know, 12% in emerging markets, uh, 10% in small cap value stocks. I'm just making up numbers, but you'll you'll look in it and it'll show you. And then you can go find mutual funds you like and put the percentage of your money in, in that portfolio. And then you have to make sure that you maintain that percentage through rebalancing every single year. Um, but but that's, you know, you got the simple solution <clears throat> or the simplest, which is hire a health wealth manager. The next simple solution for do it yourself is target date fund, target date retirement fund matched up with the goal. And then you got the people who want to maybe uh, build their own portfolio and be a bit more complicated. You can use the target date fund portfolio as a uh, cheat sheet to look at how how much money should be in. Uh, different asset classes based on um, uh, using that as a template. So I hope this helps y'all. Um, I think it. I think it's going to really shortcut your learning curve a lot.
If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.